of our new series called Renew the Vision. Now, often when churches talk about vision, they usually are talking about a church's particular vision statement that's unique to that church. But as I looked at this for 2022, I thought it would be great to really examine what is the vision of us as Christians. What are some of those key building blocks of who we are as Christians, as followers of Christ? So rather than looking at a unique vision of our church and what God has called us to, I want to spend three weeks looking at what is the vision of the Christian as we seek to follow after Christ, as we seek to be faithful to who God has called us to be. And so last week we kicked this series off looking at kind of the foundational building block that we are to preach Christ, that as we love God, one of the ways that we show our love for God is through preaching Christ with our lives. We do this as individuals, and we do this as a church community as well. And so we talked about how we preach Christ last week. And we're going to continue this week putting another building block upon those elements of what it means to have a vision for Christ as a community of believers. Before we jump in, let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you so much for your text today, for the chance to get into the word that you have given us. We thank you, Lord, that we have this at our fingertips, that we can read your words, that they can guide us and lead us each and every day of our lives. And so, Lord, we pray that we would honor you with our time together today, that we would honor you with how we live out your commands in our lives. Lord, that in all that we do, we would bring you glory, and that we would show this to those around us so that they too may come to know you as their Lord and Savior. May you be honored and glorified through our time today. We pray us in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Well, ever since COVID hit back in 2020, there's been an aspect of COVID that has sometimes been highlighted but doesn't get a lot of attention. It doesn't get a lot of press or you don't see a lot of news articles about it. And it's the aspect of loneliness. And perhaps you've felt lonely at times these last couple years, or maybe you've felt lonely before COVID even hit. There's many people who find themselves in this boat of feeling lonely, of struggling with loneliness. I was doing some research this week on this idea of loneliness and what it means for us, and I was surprised at some of the statistics that I found. Perhaps you're familiar with these already, but I was not did you know that loneliness is likely to increase your risk of death by 26%? Or that loneliness can be as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day? That loneliness is worse for you than obesity, and that's associated with an increased risk of developing coronary heart disease and stroke, high blood pressure, depression, and early mortality. Also, it puts individuals at greater risk of cognitive decline and dementia. I had no idea that loneliness impacted people in those physical ways. A study out of the UK showed that half a million older people go at least five or six days without seeing or speaking to anyone at all. Now, maybe you're in that boat. Maybe that's the norm for you. For me, having four kids and a spouse at home, I can't imagine going four or five days without talking to anyone or seeing anyone our house constantly has people talking and constant noise. But that's not the case for everybody. Here in the U.S., it's projected that 36% of all Americans, including 61% of young adults and 51% of mothers with young children, feel serious loneliness. It's an issue that's really all around us, and the implications are great. 
I'm sure that you can relate or have had times in your life when you could relate or perhaps you know people who you would believe are lonely in their life, who would place themselves in this category of feeling loneliness, of being a part of that 36% of all Americans who are experiencing loneliness. The beauty of our gathering right here today, this morning, is that we have a hope to offer those who are lonely. Or at least we should be offering a hope to those who are lonely and in this area. I believe that we are made to grow in community, thus honoring Christ with our lives. We grow together in unity through community as we pursue Jesus together. So this morning I want to look at three ways that I believe that we see biblical support for living lives in community. To better understand this concept of community though and what it looks like, I want to go straight to Scripture and to start by examining how the early church describes that aspect of community as they come together in Acts chapter 2. You see, community is really important in our lives. We are not made to live in isolation We are made to be in community. I believe that we see that all throughout Scripture. So we're going to spend our time this morning examining what it looks like to grow in community through Christ. So if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 2, we're going to be starting in verse 42, reading through verse 47. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the Acts 2 text that if you've heard people talk about how church should look like it did in the early days in Acts 2, this is what people were talking about. This idea of community, of how we see the early church living out their faith together. What a beautiful picture of community that we have here in Acts 2. Far better than any definition that we'd find in a dictionary of what community is. But if you look at the text with me, first and foremost, what we see is that they devoted themselves. This is not just a partial commitment that those who are following Christ have, that the church in Acts 2 just comes together sometimes or comes together partially committed. No, they devoted themselves. Far too often we want to fool ourselves into thinking that a partial involvement Perhaps once or twice a month will even give us the authentic community that we desire. And yet the early church shows us that in order to truly experience community, there is a need to devote oneself to it. And the result of this devotion we see in verse 43, that an awe comes upon every soul and signs and wonders are performed. You see, I think what's happening there in the early church is we're seeing God honor their devotion, their commitment to him ultimately, but to his body of believers, to his church. Their fellowship that is occurring spurs these signs and wonders on. But community is not just about seeing miracles happen. They also bring their possessions together and gave as those had needs. Can you imagine doing this? When you read in the text that the early church sold their possessions, brought them together, 
and gave them as people had needs. I don't know about you, but that's hard to fathom today. It's hard even within the church, within a body of believers that I love to picture all of us selling most of our possessions and bring it into one pot and putting it together so that we can then help those in the community who have needs. We live in such an individualistic culture. We're told so often to protect what is ours, to prepare for what we need, to plan for what we need. That's hard to think about living in the way that we see here in Acts 2. Yet their devotion and their commitment to Christ and to one another led them to do this. They devoted themselves to that community day by day. Not just on a periodic basis, but daily they came together, attending temple together, breaking bread together, and practicing generosity. Ultimately, praising God for his favor amongst them. See, they attend temple together. They gather together to worship God as a community. They break bread together. They're eating meals together. What better way to go through life with one another than to sit down around a table to share in fellowship over a meal with one another, to practice generosity? What a gift that is when you see others being generous with what they have. How that points us to Christ and his generosity towards each one of us in our lives. The attitude that we see here amongst the early church is one of humility and generosity and a dependence upon God. As I read through this, as I studied this, it made me question if we could say the same about the church, capital C, today. Does the church today live with humility, generosity, and a dependence upon God? Is that how people would define us and describe us? If not, what perhaps needs to change in order that we may embody these biblical principles that we see the church live out in the early days? The result of all of this that Acts 2 tells us for the community is that the Lord adds to their number those who are being saved. Now, it's not about the numbers. It's not about how many people that they have come through the doors. It's about the fact that these are lost souls that have now come to Christ. You see, it doesn't matter how many numbers, it's about the souls that have given their lives to Jesus that have come to find salvation through Jesus Christ. And that's the beauty of that, that phrase that we read there, that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a beautiful thing that as community was lived out through the early church, that lives were impacted in such a way that more people came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So now that we have some groundwork for what community looks like and why we believe it's important, why would one suggest that we live this way with our lives? Well, first and foremost, I believe that we are created for community. If you would turn with me to Genesis, right back to the beginning of when everything is created in Genesis 1.27, this is what we read. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So starting right away, we see God, the creator, creates mankind in his image. And he didn't just create man. He didn't just leave it at one person to occupy the earth, to rule over the animals. He made female too. He brought them together because he knew the importance of not doing things alone, of having that community aspect Genesis 2.18 gives us some more insight into this. It says in Genesis 2.18, Then the Lord God said, 
It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. You see, God states that it's not good for man to be alone. How true this is. How true it is that it is not good for us to just go through life alone. We are not created to live life alone, but rather we are created to live life in community, in fellowship with one another. Now, this doesn't mean that we never have times where it is good to be alone. Everyone can attest to the importance of having those moments where we take time alone to pursue the Lord, where we take time perhaps alone to recharge if you're more of an introvert. But even if you're an introvert, that's not a license to live life completely in solitude. When we look at the example of Jesus in Scripture, who is who we are seeking as Christians to live our lives after, we see a rhythm throughout Jesus' life in Scripture. In the writings of the gospel writers, we see Jesus engage with people, both in small groups like with the disciples where he's teaching, where he's living life with them, he's sharing meals together. We see him engage with large gatherings where he's preaching and teaching, where he's ministering to those who have needs, where he's healing the sick, feeding the hungry, and loving the unlovable. But then we also see Jesus remove himself and go up on the mountaintop to be with God the Father, where he has times of solitude with the Lord. Those are important times as well. So I'm not saying at all that just because we're created for community that we never should pursue times alone but that we were created to be with others. This week, I was doing some research and watching some videos about solitary confinement in the prison system and how damaging it is for the inmates. And now, whatever the case is for how they end up in solitary confinement, I found it so interesting to hear about how solitary confinement breaks people down, not just psychologically, but physically as well. Hearing these people who had been released from prison share their experiences about what it was like to live in solitary confinement, about how it broke their bodies down physically, about how mentally they just struggled to maintain sanity. And not only that, but these inmates shared that years after being out, it continued to impact them physically and mentally. That time spent in solitary confinement had a long-lasting impression upon them. You see, God, the designer of all, the creator of all, knew that it was not good for man to be alone. He knew that we needed community. So he created male and female to be together, to have fellowship with one another, to have community with one another. And the same is true for us today. We are created for community. We are made by God to be in community. It is ingrained in each one of us. A beautiful example that we see of community, even in the creation story, is the fellowship of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. Give us right away an example in creation of community, of fellowship, as they work together, as all three aspects of God are present in the creation of the world. Not only were we made for community, but as we experience salvation, we see this affirmed in the process of sanctification fleshed out alongside community. Look at how Paul describes this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Ephesians 2, verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, 
and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. You see, here in Ephesians, we see Paul speaking of the aspects of unity that stem from our salvation. As we come to salvation in Christ, he makes us one. He breaks down those barriers. He breaks down those walls of hostility and brings about unity. For those Paul was writing to, this would have had great implications as he would have been writing through the lens of those who were Jews and Gentiles and how God had designed them to come together as one body of believers. How that would have not been the norm for those of the Jewish faith and those who were Gentiles as well, who were outside of the fold of the Israelites. But as Christ came, as he broke down those walls of hostility, he brought about a unity within his church. A unity that was to move forward from that day on. There is not a division between Jew and Greek, but they are all one in Christ Jesus. The implications of our salvation stretch much further than just our personal lives. It should impact how we move together in community as well, seeking that unity in Christ as one body. As we experience God breaking down these walls of hostility and bringing about peace that leads to one body, we experience this in community with one another. This is not something that we can experience on our own. If you go off on your own to pursue after the Lord and just live alone for the rest of your life, you will miss out on this beautiful aspect of oneness, of unity that comes about as believers pursue after Christ together and come together unified in their pursuit after Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. As we experience God breaking down these walls of hostility, as we experience God bringing about the peace that leads to one body, we experience this in community, one body worshiping God, one body serving God, one body seeking God together. The role of community is not just that we encourage one another and pursue after salvation. It's also a place where we are created to serve in community. Look with me at a couple texts that show this morning how we serve within community, starting in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 states, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here in Hebrews, we are given a charge to give thought to how we can stir one another up to love and good works. And the author of Hebrews tells us that we are to not neglect meeting together. That there is an importance that happens when we come together as a community of believers. Just because some people have this habit, just because some people choose to not come together on a regular basis does not mean that we give up this biblical standard. We see right here in Scripture and in many other places the importance of the gathering of the believers, the gathering of the body of Christ's bride, together to worship him. And that is why each and every Sunday we gather together 
That's why each and every Sunday we are here even when some choose not to be. Because it is the calling of the Christian to gather together, to have a habit of meeting together on a regular basis, and to not neglect this calling that we have as followers of Christ. And as we gather together, we serve one another by stirring each other up to love, to good works, and to encourage one another. This is a beautiful picture of community fleshed out. Who here doesn't ever need encouragement from a fellow believer at a time in your life? I know that I sure do, that there are times in my life when I need that encouragement of others who are walking the same path as I am, who are pursuing after Jesus together, who find it difficult at times to continue to walk the path that the Lord has set, to say, no, keep going. Christ is with you. Stay the course. Jesus has a plan. That encouragement we need from one another. That encouragement comes in community as we serve one another to remind each other of the goodness of Christ and to encourage one another toward good works. One other aspect of serving one another in community is to lovingly keep one another pursuing God's path in our lives, even when we hit temptation, even when we fail. Look at what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 2 and 6 and 10. Paul says in Galatians 6, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. You see, we need one another to help restore us in Christ when we fall short, when we sin, to remind us of God's goodness and grace. You see, there's a pattern in our lives when we sin, when we fall short of God's plan, of God's intention, and when we sin. Usually what happens is it goes sin, guilt, shame, which then leads us right back into sin. And what we need is after the sin and the guilt, we need to turn to Christ. We need to turn to Christ in our repentance and let him give us his grace, extend that grace to us, and set us on his path rather than continuing that horrible cycle. Because if we don't allow our guilt to lead us to Christ, then our guilt leads us to shame. And eventually that shame then will lead us right back to our sin. And so we need fellow believers who can come alongside us, who at that point can point us to Christ, who can help guide us to Jesus, to the grace he offers, who can remind us of the goodness of God, even in the midst of our falling short. Even when we fail, even when we stumble, to have those alongside us who can lovingly remind us that Christ still loves you, that Christ still died for you, no matter what you did, that his grace is enough, and that he still loves you and his goodness is there for you. This isn't coming with a harsh condemnation. It's out of love for the fellow believer. And we see Paul say that, that you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's reminding them of God's goodness. And I love the reminder that he continues there in verse 2 to bear one another's burdens. You see, we should be impacted by those in our community and what they're going through. 
by what struggles our fellow believers are walking through, by what joys they have, those should impact us. It's part of living in community. It's part of serving one another, is that we are impacted by what others are going through. Paul continues to encourage us to let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches, to continue that attitude of generosity within our lives. And then verse 2, or sorry, verse 10, excuse me, he reminds us to seek to do good to all, especially to those who are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. You see, church is more than a place where we go once a week or every couple of weeks to check off a box or to feel good about ourselves. Church is a place where we are seeking to grow together in unity through community as we pursue Jesus together. And that is a beautiful thing. That honors God. So how do we practice community here at SCOG and in your own life? Well, first and foremost, I believe that we practice community by committing to community. That's something that has largely been lacking as the generations have continued is a commitment to the local church. Far too often, people want benefits of church without the sacrifice and the commitment. They want to experience the good feelings of church, but they don't want to cost much. And the reality is that you get in, you get out of something what you put into it. I always tell people that when we do growth group classes or when I teach classes that you can get as much out of this as you are willing to put into it. That if you're just going to show up and do the bare minimum, then that's what you're probably going to get out of it. But if you're going to invest, if you're going to commit to it, if you're going to do the work, if you're going to come on a regular basis, then you're going to get more out of it. And the same is true in all aspects of life. That when you're willing to commit to something on a deeper level, then the payoff is going to be far greater. And so we need to commit to community in church. John Wesley once said, Give me a hundred men who hate nothing but sin and love God with all their hearts, and I will shake the world for Christ. What can be done when you have a faithful group of believers who are committed to one another and committed to Christ Jesus is truly amazing. The reality is that we must be willing to commit to Christ and his church no matter what the cost. This must be a priority in how we live out our faith, honoring God in community, in fellowship amongst the believers. That commitment, that willingness to give ourselves to something that is far greater than us will create beautiful results. I was reading this week about Cortez's commitment, the Spanish explorer Hernando Cortez, that when he landed at Veracruz, Mexico in 1519, he was so intent on a conquest that to assure the devotion of his men, he set fire to his fleet of 11 ships. He came on 12 ships and he burned 11 of the 12. And the last ship he sent back to their homeland or a port that they had landed. With no means of retreat, Cortez's army had only one direction to move, into the Mexican interior. You see, Cortez understood the price of commitment and he was willing to pay whatever the cost. What would it look like for you to truly commit to the church? To be all in, not just when it's convenient to you, not just when you feel like it, but to commit everything you have to the local church. What is God perhaps calling you to in this year that would cause you to live out your faith by pursuing commitment to community? 
Well, the second aspect of this community-driven life is that after committing to community, one must take it a step further and be willing to engage in community. See, I've seen many people who are committed, who are willing to come. I saw this in youth groups often when I worked with youth, that there were kids who were committed to be there every week. They would never miss a week, but they would never engage once they were there. And that's taking it a step further because committing is the first step, that you commit to be a part of it, you commit to be faithful, but you must then also engage on a deeper level. Part of engaging with community is opening ourselves up to one another. It's those elements that we read about in the text this morning of devoting our lives to one another, of seeking to live in a manner that seeks unity with one another and engages in life with each other. Think about the Apostle Paul and how he showed this throughout Scripture. Even in his writings, we see the way in which he engages with fellow Christians. He doesn't just go into a town, preach, plant a church, and leave, never to return, never to write to them again. But he continues the relationship. He continues to engage with their pain. He laments with them. He shares their joys, and he shares their struggles as well. We see the way it grieves Paul when the churches that he's been a part of struggle. We see the way that he has joy when they have successes as well. Imagine how the church would better represent Christ if we, in our commitment to the body of Christ, engage deeply with one another. What a great witness to Christ's engagement in our lives this would show the world. And how much more blessed would we be through it too. There's many ways that you can engage in that deeper level here even at our church. There are growth group opportunities where you can join a group, where you can get to know people in a more intimate setting. You see, the worship service is a wonderful element of church and is a necessity of church, but it is a time when we come together where we sing praises to God, where we worship God, where we learn from his word. But growth groups are an opportunity to be in community, to be in fellowship with one another to dig deeper, to put those roots down with each other, to engage in each other's lives around Scripture or around biblical topics, to learn and grow with one another. And I would encourage you to seek to engage in this community by joining one of those groups. I would also encourage you to reach out to people in the congregation who you think may be lonely. We talked earlier about the, the statistics about loneliness Part of being the body of Christ, part of engaging with one another is caring for each other, of being a part of the community, caring for those within our community. So reach out to those who you haven't seen in a while. Invite them to come on Sunday or give them a phone call and ask how you can pray for them or if they need anything. Love on those in our community and take care of those who may be struggling or who are lonely and engage in community in that way. The last way that I believe that we practice community is by serving here in the church. In his research, Simon Sinek was researching Navy SEALs, and he found that only 10% of Navy SEALs make it through the initial training process. And he gave some insight in one of his interviews as to who gets through this process. He said it's not the big muscle-bound guys. They look impressive, but often don't have what it takes. It's not the tattooed tough guys. They look scary, but they don't have what it takes. He says it's not the college-educated stars. They look like leaders, but they don't have what it takes. What he found in his research is that the ones who make it through don't necessarily look impressive, 
And there may be times during the training when they are shivering in fear, but at some point during the grueling, punishing training, when they're exhausted, when they're mentally spent, when it doesn't look as though they can go on, they dig deep and they find a way to help the person next to them. You see, the ones that he found were in that 10% were those who weren't just concerned with themselves, but who were willing to help the ones next to them. What if the church acted in this way? What if we sought to serve one another so well that we could endure anything together with Christ? That no matter what we're going through, no matter what trials or struggles we're facing, that we knew that we never had to go at it alone. We knew that we could depend upon our community. I believe this is a part of the picture that Jesus has of his bride, the church, serving one another out of a love for him. The community of believers is not about what you can get out of it. It's not about consuming. It's about coming together, a unified body of believers, living life together, serving one another. This is how we experience God's goodness. This is how we bear witness to one another, the grace of God. And ultimately, this is how we bear witness to the world as to how we are different how we live life apart from the world as we pursue community as part of Christ's body of believers. Where perhaps is God calling you today to serve his church? What ways maybe is God nudging you to build up the body through helping other believers? If you aren't sure, I would encourage you to take time to pray, to ask God if there is a way he wants you to serve his church. And then listen. I guarantee you that is a prayer that God will answer. God loves that prayer and will answer that prayer when his followers come to him asking, how can I serve you and your church? And see, we've been given a gift. We've been given a beautiful gift, the bride of Christ. Far too often we neglect her. We take her for granted or we don't give her our best Yet I believe that God has great things in store for his church. And I believe that he is inviting us to partner with him by growing in community within his church. So may you start today by recasting your vision for 2022 and building it upon the importance of using your life to grow in community and thus honor Christ in all that you do. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you so much for the community that you have built here. Lord, the community that you have established is your church. Lord, we just give you all praise for that. It's not something that we have built. It's not our accomplishments, but it is you and your spirit at work. So Lord, may you give us attentive hearts and spirits to the work that you are doing here. Right here in our midst, Lord, the ways in which you are seeking to grow each one of us. The ways in which you desire to use Skog Church further your kingdom. And Lord, as we pursue after you, may it not just be individually, but may it be as a unified body of believers pursuing you together. Lord, may you be glorified through that. Lord, our lives are not ours. We give them to you. May you use them as you see fit. So Lord, guide us, lead us, direct us to your will to the path that you want us to walk. And Lord, may we walk it as a community together.
following after you, our Lord and our Savior. We pray this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.